Well, good morning. Howdy. There we go. Here we are. All right, well, glad you're here. My name is Jacob Smith. I'm the teaching pastor here for our Anderson College Ministry. And man, I just want to welcome you to Grace. Uh, I'm excited that you've joined us for essentially our final series of the semester, right? We're, We're wrapping things up. We're about five weeks out from graduation. Who's graduating in like five weeks? Wow. Well, Lord willing. Uh, but that's great. That's super great. Uh, and yeah, and then they know, right? Those, those hands just then, they know better than anyone else that there's something after college, right? And we have to figure out what that is. And this springtime is a lot of what we, we, we're looking maybe beyond college. Maybe we're looking just to the summer. Maybe we're looking to the next semester. And, and you know, the springtime is a time where we are always just looking ahead. And that, 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 forward vision, it's something that fills us with a lot of hope, right? A lot of excitement, uh, but it can also fill us with a lot of fear and anxiety because we're not exactly sure how things are going to play out. And yet when we look in scripture, what we see is Jesus Christ telling his followers that they don't have to worry and be anxious and be fearful like the rest of the world because they have a father in heaven who lo- loves them, who knows them, and who's going to take care of them, who has their best at heart. And that's a promise that we inherit, right? If you've put your trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you have been adopted into the family of God, and you have a heavenly father who cares about you, who loves you, who has your best at heart. And so as we look ahead, suddenly we have a new opportunity to not just look forward, but to look up and to look to our God and to ask him uh, to give us understanding in the face of all this uncertainty. And so we've been spending, we just started last week, a three-week series looking at this idea of how to apply God's wisdom to to our walks in this world. How do we, as believers, make better decisions? And this is a very complex topic, right? This is a lot of information. There's a lot of scripture that speaks to this. And we can't cover all of it uh, in just three weeks. I'm not going to cover even a third of it in the next 30 minutes. And so I would encourage you, as we continue to walk through this series, that you would come, that you would join us next week, that you would, you would hear just kind of the last big chunk of, of what it looks like to really follow God's will, how to apply God's will to our lives. But even beyond that, beyond just joining us for this sort of broader discussion, I would encourage you to be individually committing yourself to learning from the Lord about this topic. If this is something that really is, you're wrestling with it, or you're, you know you've got a friend that's wrestling, or you're looking ahead and you're like, man, I don't know, I'm not making decisions now, but I know they're coming. I mean, I would encourage you to begin right now immersing yourself in God's word. Immerse yourself in God's word, learning from him and his wisdom and what he has to say about taking your next steps. And one of the ways that we try to equip you guys to do that, uh, starting this semester, every sermon series, I mean, we, we want to g- give you kind of a guided reading plan uh, of what it looks like of how to find scripture related to this topic. And so if you have a Bible app on your phone, you probably are using the YouVersion Bible app. It's, it's a branch out of Life Church uh, up in Oklahoma, and they, they're an incredible ministry. And they uh, have essentially created this wonderful Bible reading uh, app that, that also has access all these different devos and plans. So if you've subscribed to any of ours in the past, man, that's, we've just launched uh, our, our one related to this series, Make a Decision, uh, two days ago. And so if you go through the app and you look for finding plans, finding reading plans, if you search for Grace College, you search for decisions, you search for Make a Decision, any of those, man, it'll, it'll pop up and show you essentially uh, what we've put together, an eight-day reading study uh, that walks you through, again, just kind of scripture and prayers to consider, uh, applications points to, to, uh, to kind of put into your own life. I mean, we would just encourage you to be learning from the Lord on your own outside of our Sundays 
together. Uh, because in his word, God gives us so much direction, right? So much guidance. And he does this because he knows if we're left to our own devices, right? If we're left all by ourselves, we always will struggle in how to properly move forward and how to get to the place that we actually want to be. Right? He knows this about us and he sees our struggle. And so he wants to meet us in the midst of all that kind of uh, tripping and failing. So we all struggle, right? We all have issues. If we're Jalen, right, seen here uh, through all of these clips, it's done for comedic effect, right? He does this to make his dad laugh, in case you're wondering. He's not, like, just really bad at walking. Uh, but we all will have these moments where we get tripped up, where we're not sure of what to do next, right? Our feet start to stumble. And what, what happens is we run into one of the common, I think, hangups, one of the common barriers we have uh, that contribute to us struggling to make decisions. We mentioned this last week, but I think we can really boil down a lot of our struggle and decision-making to three kind of key issues. It's that maybe we feel like we've lost our direction. Maybe we feel like we just have a lack of the knowledge we need to know of the things we need to be aware of. Or maybe we feel like we are afraid. We're just paralyzed with fear of future regret. But God meets us in this struggle, right? And he moves us forward. And in his word, in his wisdom, he gives us this path and he gives us these three key principles that we can apply to our lives to overcome these different barriers. He tells us very clearly that, hey, if we're a people who are willing to align our lives, to seek out wisdom, and to keep open hands, we, we can be a people who are better equipped to really make the best decisions, to live with fewer regrets. And so last week we talked about this idea of aligning our lives with God's direction. It overcomes that barrier of losing our own personal kind of way. And this morning we're going to be focused on this second principle of how do we seek out wisdom? How do we overcome maybe a lack of knowledge and a feeling of being under-equipped to make a certain decision? How do we overcome that? Well, in Scripture, over and over again, we have God's Word calling us forward to seek out the wisdom of our Lord and of our surrounding people. And so this morning, we're starting in the book of James, which is a letter written to believers, uh, kind of telling them about how does faith play out in your personal life. Life. And so in James chapter 1, what we see is essentially the author laying out kind of the beginning stage of what does it look like to really seek out wisdom? What does it look like to be a people who are making decisions guided by the wisdom of God? And what we'll see kind of laid out, and what will be in James, and then we'll move into the Proverbs, we'll move into wisdom literature, uh, we'll see essentially kind of four key steps. Four big pieces that I would encourage you to consider as you seek wisdom in your own life. That you would hand it over, that you would slow it down, that you would widen the circle, and that you would take the hit. Things that we'll explain here in a few minutes. All right, but, but James is going to essentially start off by telling believers about how we can hand over these decisions to our God. He says it in James chapter 1, starting in verse 5. He says, if anyone is deficient in wisdom. He should ask the Lord, right? He should ask God who gives to all generously and without reprimand and it will be given to him, right? James starts off with essentially uh, an, uh, this, this Greek kind of wor- wordplay 
where he's posing kind of a question, a possibility that he's assuming is absolutely always true, right? So when he says that if anyone is deficient in wisdom, the way he's phrasing it, the clause that he's using is essentially saying, look, you're all going to be deficient in wisdom, right? This is a, this is for sure going to happen. Like this is just a known fact. It'd be like if I said, well, if an Aggie is going to whoop, right? He should do so. Okay. Then if you did, the rest of you, 2%. Uh, he should do so loudly, right? That, that's, that's what I would say. That, that's kind of the equivalent. Of course, you're just assuming, of course, this is going to take place. James says, you're all going to struggle with a lack of your own personal wisdom. And so this is what you do. You ask God. And he'll begin to give you, uh, he gives to all generously without reprimand, and it will be given to him. He says, but here's the, here's the kicker. You must ask in faith, without doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed around by the wind. So James is kind of moving to the second idea of saying, look, you should be asking the Lord to give you this wisdom, but here's the issue. Some of you are going to be asking with this doubt. And and when he talks about doubting, um, or when he talks about asking in faith, it's this idea that you're you're trusting, or he's using uh, this callback to a a Hebrew term, right? He's writing it in Greek, but he's calling back to this Hebrew term. And he's talking about uh, this, this trust that God will do what he's promised, and that he can do what he's asked. Okay? That he will do what he's promised and that he can do what we ask of him. Right? So we don't know for sure if he will answer every request that we make. But we know he, it's possible right? that we can. We trust in his sufficient power. And we trust in his faithfulness that the things that he has abundantly promised, that those things will come through. And he says that this doubting, though, interferes with us. And it's not just doubting in the sense of like, well, I don't know, like... Maybe, maybe not. The, the term that he's using is very specific. He's talking about a divided person, division. He's talking about inconsistency. So essentially what he's trying to get at is he's saying, look, if you're asking, but you're kind of flip-flopping, right? If you're kind of going one way and then the other, he says, then, well, it's not going to work well for you, right? He says it in verse 8. He says, that person, they must not suppose... Or sorry, verse 7, they must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord since he is a double-minded individual, unstable in all his ways. So he's saying, look, sometimes you're going to be asking the Lord for direction. He says, but ultimately that's not really what you want, right? We talked about this a little bit last week. That many times we actually are just looking to God to affirm the preconceived decisions and notions that we already have. He says, and that's not going to work. He says that you're double-minded. You're two-faced, Right? He says, one day you're like, no, I want to follow God's will. And then the next day you're like, no, nah, I'll just do my own thing. And he says, that's not going to play out the way you want it to play out. He says, that's not going to work. That's, that's not how God guides you. He says, you need to be a person who's in faith, trusting God without division, right? without inconsistency. He says, you, you can't take half measures. Be like if you showed up to your standardized exam with a Scantron, awesome, and a gel pen. That won't work, right? Like, that's not, I don't know if they make gel pens anymore, but that, you can't do that. That won't work. I mean, you can try. Let me know, maybe. But you can't take these half measures that doesn't actually work out. It's not like halfway successful. Your prof's not going to be like, oh, okay, I'll give you a 50. Like, that's not, it's not going to have, that's not it. And so when James is talking about asking the Lord for wisdom, he's saying, look, you've got to be a person who's trusting in the Lord. And yet a lot of times I think what happens is we, lose sight of the fact that, that it's not just about asking for answers, that it's actually about asking for wisdom, right? What I mean is, is we should be 
seeking after the Lord's perspective, right? Sometimes we want this like bullet point answer list, but in reality, the wisdom of God is more of a mindset. It's a viewpoint. It's a way of understanding how the world works. It's a framework for understanding our lives. And the problem that we encounter a lot of times is we're not hearing from God because ultimately we're on just a completely different page. We're not hearing from God because we might just be speaking a completely different language. But this is an issue that we run into. You guys have the Wi-Fi password? All right, Brock. We're going to start with some simple ones. Yeah. Okay. Hello. How are you? Saw. Friends. Fine. Family. Fam jam. It was a fun event. The fest was lit. Okay. Okay. I'm about to leave. I'm finna dip set. Those are some neat shoes. Them kicks are dripping. I would be glad to help. Bet. My favorite team lost. Dudes took an L. My favorite team lost very bad. Dudes got clapped. He seems upset. He little mad. He seems very upset. He big mad. I like this music. That's a bop. I'm not lying. No cap. I'm sorry that happened to you. Oof. That's an interesting statement. Weird flex, but okay. I'm not a fan of these appetizers. These apps are booty. I completely agree with that statement. Facts. I agree. Yeet yeet. Excuse me. Yeet. Wow, that's exciting news. Yeet. Congratulations on your baby boy. Yeet. I have to admit, I've reached an age in life where I don't know if any of these are true. Uh, But I'm assuming some are. But the reality is that a lot of times when we find ourselves in this kind of disconnect, where it's just like, man, I don't know. I've literally never said yeet in in my 31 years of life. I've never said it. I'm just not speaking that language. And the problem is that a lot of times when we approach the Lord, we're saying, God, I want you to show me what's next. I want you to show me where I should go, the decision I should make. And yet that vision is, is dependent upon me actually ascri- ascribing to the same values, right? A shared vision between ourselves and another person or between ourselves and our God. I mean, it depends on shared values. We, we have to be willing to say in full confidence, right, without two-faced, without flip-flop, without being blown about, without, without division, without inconsistency, we say, God, I want what you want. God, I care about what you care about. This is why we start with the gospel whenever it comes to making a decision, whenever it comes to walking by faith. I mean, it's all got to start with the gospel. It's what we said last week, so I'm going to say this week, so I'm going to say next week. Ultimately, the the first major decision that has to determine if you can ask any of these other questions, if you can get any of these other answers, if you can walk by any of this other wisdom, the first decision you have to make is what do you believe about Jesus Christ? I personally believe that Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven and onto earth to live the life that I could not live, to die the death that I deserved, to rise again so that I can call on his name so I can trust in him. And suddenly the sin and the death and the things that held me back from having a relationship with God of the universe, those things are done. Those things have been conquered. And suddenly because of what Jesus Christ accomplished on my behalf, I can be made righteous. I can be made perfect in the eyes of God. And I can be adopted into his family for all of eternity. And I can enjoy a life beyond this world. That's what I believe. 
And that's something that I think a lot of us have chosen. We say, yeah, this is something that I believe. This is something that, that I cling to. For others of us, maybe this is something that it's a faith that we've been handed for a long time and we're not really sure where we land on it. Or maybe this is something that we've just never really considered. Maybe it's something that we've never really heard. And I just want to stress to you that the decision you make on that question, on who do you say Jesus is, that decision is going to determine every other decision that you make moving forward. It's going to change everything because you have to start with that essential value. Saying, God, I see the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on my behalf. God, I accept the forgiveness that's only found through him. And with that starting point, suddenly we have opportunity to gain the perspective and the vision of our God. And that shared vision is something that can move us forward. It's something that can change everything about every decision we ever make. This is why we have things like baptism, right? We talked about last week with this idea that when we come together as a body of Christ, as a local body, as a, as a family adopted in the family of God, What we do is we have this practice of baptism where if someone has never been baptized as a believer, they come forward, they say, hey, I want to publicly align myself with the Lord. And it's not something that somehow saves them. It's not something that somehow makes God love them more. It's simply a way for them to step forward and say, yeah, this is where I'm at. This is what I value. This is the wisdom. This is the direction that I want to adopt in my life. And so I would encourage you, if you've never been baptized as a believer, we have opportunities once a semester, at the end of every semester, it's my favorite Sunday every single year. You can jump in with us. Well, not literally jump in to the baptism, that'd be messy, but you can get dunked with us. And I would encourage you to follow this link to let us know if that's something you're interested in. We'll follow up with you this week. But it's a beautiful statement of our faith. It's a beautiful statement of what we value. And we're saying, God, I want to be guided by your wisdom. What I want to be aligned with your word. And when we do that, what it does is it creates in us the confidence to slow down. To slow down in our decision making. Right? If we're really trusting that God's in control, if we're really trusting that he is the Lord on high, the the creator of the universe, suddenly we have confidence to, to not buy into maybe a false sense of urgency. We see God talk about this in in the Proverbs and his wisdom like this. He says, the plans of the diligent lead only to plenty, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Literally right here in the Hebrew, it says that if you're diligent, if you're precise, right? The word here, the, the verb that it comes from means to cut or to sharpen, to decide, right? It's describing someone who's sharp. It's describing someone who acts decisively, right? Who acts with precision, And so if we have God's perspective, right, if we have this kind of pulled back view of our lives and of our world, suddenly we have the space to think deeply before we act decisively. We have that space created to to slow down our decisions. Because here's the reality. Whenever we rush, right, if we're hasty, it leads to poverty. It leads to want is the word here. Whereas if we're diligent, it leads to overflow. It's the idea of plenty. Right? God has said, man, I don't want you to be rushing because when you rush, it leads you to a place of regret. Okay, let's move to the table. Put your right arm. Is that right arm? Oh! Oh! No! 
see how rushed. And there's regret and cake brains all over the floor. Whenever we rush, before we just kind of hastily move into that decision, I mean, what happens is many times, many, many, many times, that rushing will lead us to a place of regret. We've seen this play out in our lives where we made a decision really quick. We felt maybe pressured to make that decision really, really quickly, and we made the wrong decision. God is saying, I want you to be diligent. I want you to pull back. I want you to trust that I'm in control. When you trust I'm in control, you can slow it down. But the problem that we face is that a lot of times we buy into our own or others false sense of urgency. Other people will convince us that we've got to make that decision right now and there's no, there's no time to wait. Right? Either we convince ourselves of that or other people do it. It's, it's, it's a sales tactic, right? If you go and you buy a car, like, well, I don't know. I mean, you, can, you can buy it today for, you know, $10,000, but tomorrow it's going to be like $400,000. Today's your last shot. And if I don't sell it, then my kids will die, right? And that's, that's the sales tactic. And they, what do they want you to do? They want you to make that decision as quickly as possible because they don't want you to think about it. They don't want you to worry about it. They don't want you to price check, right? It's a sales tactic, tactic in lots and lots of different fields. It's, it's something that we convince ourselves of when we're highly emotional. We're in elevated emotional states. We convince ourselves, and maybe it's just because we got chemicals that are just pounding through our brains, we convince ourselves, though, I've got to act in this moment, and you really don't. One of the best pieces of advice I've ever received is from one of our elders. Mike Gentry is our head elder at Grace right now, and he's a really awesome lawyer. He's been a lawyer here for like 800 years. It's amazing. He predates America by a long shot. And Mike will say time and again, he says, you know what? You need to avoid a keyboard if you're angry or in love. Those are his, that's his number one piece of advice. Avoid a keyboard if you're angry or in love. And he's saying that, look, if you're in a, this, this moment of high elevation, I'm in love with my wife. I don't just never type. Right? Like, that's not <laughs> what he's trying to say. But he's saying if you're, if you're in this moment where you're just emotional, it says you should be cautious about what you put down on paper, what you send off in that email. He's seen client after client make huge mistakes. Because they acted in the moment hastily. Right? I, I love the, the advice that I've, I've read at one point that was saying that you should never let lazy people set your schedule. In other words, you should never let other people's right, failure to plan ahead or think ahead, you should never let other people determine how quickly you need to act. Or how quickly you need to decide something, right? The emotional state, that's on you. But, but for some of us, we're, we're dependent on other, other people are changing the way that we think and act. They're, 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 they missed a deadline, right? Or they didn't show up to that one meeting. Or they didn't come to that class or they, whatever. And suddenly, they're, the pressure that they're under, they're trying to shift onto us. And, and we don't need to buy into that. Right? Don't let lazy people, don't let other people who've made mistakes, don't let yourself fall under that same pressure. I see it in classwork, I see it in, in work, I see it in relationships and dating more often than not. Where one person makes mistakes or one person is just kind of, you know, starts flubbing it up or just doesn't care about this or that, doesn't have the conversation they need to have. And all of a sudden, maybe they have regret. 
about those mistakes that they made or those decisions that they had or that, that, that lifestyle that they never kicked or those lies that they kept telling. And all of a sudden, they come back to the wronged party and they tell them, hey, come on, you, gotta, you, you need to take me back. Or, hey, we need, to keep this, we need to fight for this. Or, hey, we need to work through this stuff. And what's happening is this other person's mistakes and the other person's pressure, they're trying to lob onto the other person in that relationship. And I've seen it time and time again where this wronged person makes the wrong decision. Because they buy into this false sense of urgency. Hey, if you want to fight for our relationship now, then you should be able to do that in a month. Let me think. Let me get perspective. Let me slow it down. We need to be able to slow down our decision making. Because if we rush forward, man, it's going to lead to regret. And what's beautiful is that once we've created this space... Right? Once we have this margin, what it does is it allows us the freedom to then widen our circle. In other words, to seek the wisdom of other people around us. That's what I mean. You're widening the circle of people who see the issue at hand, who can weigh in on the decision that's being made, who can speak into your process. We see this throughout Scripture. We see it in Proverbs 12, where God is saying that, look, the way of a fool is right in his own opinion— Right? But the one who listens to advice is actually wise. It says, yeah, of course you can convince yourself of anything. Oh, yeah, that jacket looks good. Right? Oh, yeah, you don't need to study for that. Right? Oh, yeah, that, that guy is super dateable. Look at that hair. Right? Like you can convince yourself of anything. But the wisdom of the Lord says, look, you've, that's why you need other people. You need other people to speak into these decisions that you're making. We need other people to widen our perspective. Otherwise, we just fool ourselves. Uh, my wife and I, we just welcomed our third child into the world. His name is Liam, and he's wonderful, and he's wrapped up like a burrito most of the time. Uh, and we have uh, a, a daughter, Charlotte, who's four, son, Lawrence, who's two, and then Liam. And, and so we've gone through this whole, like, birthing a child. Well, my wife has gone through this thing of birthing a child <laughs> three times, right? And I've gone through the process of raising a baby three times, right? And, and so when we welcomed Liam into the world about, I don't know, whatever, five weeks ago? <laughs> Third kid. Uh, but when he was born at the end of February, February 26th, uh, he, when we looked at him, we were just, we were so overjoyed, right? we were so excited that we have this, this new addition to our family. He was beautiful and wonderful and sweet and everything. And we knew, we said, hey, Liam, right? It's like nine o'clock in the morning. He's born. We said, Liam, 36 hours from now, this is going to be a nightmare. We're all in for it. And we knew that. And we, li- I literally said that to his face because <laughs> it was my third trip around the baby block. And I knew that that second night of having a kid, there's just something that I was looking it up. It's literally called second night syndrome. And when we had our first, when we had Charlotte, our oldest, the, there was this lady at the hospital who handed us this paper, like kind of secretly. Like, I don't think she was supposed to be distributing it, but she came into our room and she worked there and she was just like a lady, but she worked there and she came in her room and she said, you're going to need this. And she handed us this paper that was literally just called Surviving the Second Night. And we we're like, what is going on, right? Do they release wolves or something? Like, what is, what's going to happen? And it talked about how 
kids, just generally speaking, by that second night, the baby is, your baby's kind of a little bit more aware, right? They're a little bit more woken up. Uh, they're starting to get actually a little bit more hungry, right? They're, they're wanting to eat and they're not, they don't just have like the tube thing through their belly button. Ah, that was weird. But they, they are suddenly a lot more disagreeable. And so kind of for that first 24, 36 hours, your baby's a little bit more, you know, sleepy and tired and just super chill. Uh, And then when that second night hits, generally speaking, people hit the second night syndrome and people start to lose their minds because you think you're in for one thing and you're not. This baby has lulled you into a false sense of confidence. And so we read this paper and it had all these tips and tricks for how to love our little, our little tutor, right? That's just what it was all about. And so it had pieces that, that with our first kid, we were like, this seems like it's just very straightforward. It's like breathe. I'm like, yeah, duh. It has stuff like don't shake your baby. We're like, why, why would I shake my baby? But you get to that second night and you legitimately find yourself just not breathing because this baby is yelling at your face and you don't want to inhale those yells. And so you're just, and you're just upset. And even though for that whole first 24 hours, you're like, I love it. This baby so much. Even though you love him so much, in that moment, you're just like, I want to shake this baby. Like, I don't know what it is. But there's something instinctive and sinful in my heart that makes me want to just shake you. We needed the perspective of other people to shape our actions in the moment, to shape the decisions that we made. God is saying, look, you all need this. You all need people to widen your perspective, to give you advice about things, bridges that maybe they've already crossed. Maybe they're a few steps ahead of you. And so they can kind of guide you on that path. Maybe they're not necessarily ahead of you, but they're just a few steps removed. And they can think a little bit more clearly, a little bit more objectively, right? They're not caught up in that relationship, right? They're not caught up in all the decisions that led up to this. They're not caught up with that emotional baggage you have related to this issue. They're a little bit removed. And so they can weigh in with sound advice, right? We need other people to widen our perspective. It doesn't mean that we just let them make all of our decisions for us, but it means that we should be willing to listen to input from other people because they might have something to share. And yet a lot of times what the issue that we encounter is that we don't have the right people around us, right? We don't have the people that we actually trust their advice. Or we don't have the people that can actually speak into these things. Or we don't have people that we even let see all the issues or decisions that are going on in the middle of our lives. And it's hard because we can't just change our people, right? Like you can't just flip a switch and say like, okay, I, all, I need these types of friends here now. Can't do that. But... What you can do is you can change where you're positioned. You can change your position. You can change your pursuit. And when you do these things, those people, I've just seen it time and time again, those people will follow. So even though right now maybe you don't have the right people, what you can do is maybe decide that, oh, I need to be in a different position. Or I need to be pursuing something different. Right? I don't feel like I have people who can weigh in on my uh, decision of where to go because, man, they're all just sort of unmotivated people. Or I don't know if I have people that can weigh in on this spiritual aspect of my life because none of them are believers. Well, the, the answer is not to just abandon these people, but to maybe find a way to bring other types of community, other types of people into your life. Position yourself in, I mean, this is why we have things like Growth Track next week, right? Yes. Where 
we essentially are able to speak into, hey, like this seems to be the way that God has equipped you. You do a little survey thing and we figure out, hey, this is kind of how you're gifted and this is a way that you can maybe serve the Lord. You could be a part of his work in our local community. Or this is why we have things like small groups and, and home groups and Bible studies, right? We have college Bible studies where you can be surrounded by like-minded peers who say, yeah, we want to know Jesus and make him known and we want to love and support each other in the process. Or we have home groups that are multi-generational that you can always jump into. Where you, where you sit down with families and, and empty nesters and little kids and whatever. And you're, you're in this mixed environment where, again, you have people who say, I want to know Jesus and make him known. And I want to love and support these people in the process. Or you can jump in. If you're a guy, we have things like First Call, which is early, bright and early Tuesday morning. It's like 6.30. What time does it start, Connor? 6? Oof. I don't know. Well, they, is it worth it? It is. It is. I went. I went uh, as a young married guy. I went uh, for a year or two. And, and I'll tell you, we have things like First Call that are awesome. 6 a.m. on Tuesday morning, you're sitting down with, with college guys, but then a lot of older men who have to be at work at it. That's why they start so early. And so you get to sit down and you get to hear from and, and, and learn from the perspective of all these other people where you widen your circle. And when you have these right people speaking into your decision, what it does is it it allows you to then be preparing yourself to take the hit. And this is what I mean by that. In Proverbs 19, we see that that it's wise to listen to advice, to receive discipline. Because in that way, that way you may become wise by the end of your life. You should listen to advice. You should receive discipline. Why? Because that's the way that you may become wise by the end of your life. I love this language in the Hebrew because literally when it says by the end of your life, it says at the end of all things. So the author is just getting at this idea. He says, look, it's going to take a while, right? Correction is a process and it doesn't always feel great in the moment, but by the end of things, it will lead you to a better place. It doesn't feel great in the, in the now and the present, but it will lead you to a better place in the future. But in order to take that correction, right? In order to, to, to listen to this advice, to receive this discipline, I mean, we need humility, right? We need humility to acknowledge that we all have blind spots, that we all miss something somewhere at some point in our lives. Well, to Fratton Park where there's been a red card, but for who, Chris Kamara? I don't know, Jeff, has it? I must have missed that. Red card. <laughs> Chris, have you not been watching? I haven't. I don't know where that's come from, Chris. I have no idea what has happened there. What's happened, Chris? Uh, I don't know, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The rain must have got in my eyes, Jeff. Chris, Chris, let me tell you, according, according to our sources, Anthony Van Den Boer has been sent off for a second bookable offence. Get, get your fingers oh, out and count up the number of Portsmouth players who are on the field. No, you're right. I saw him go off, but I thought they were bringing a sub on, Jeff. <laughs> as professional as ever, Cabbage. <laughs> Still nil-nil. <laughs> Cutting edge reports on Gillette Soccer uh, Saturday. It's hard. I don't know how anyone watches an entire soccer game. Right? Like, that's... That's understandable. Ah, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but we have this fault where we have these blind spots in our lives where, yeah, there's going to be things that we miss. And when we become defensive, right, the, I think the issue, the barrier that we encounter is a lot of times we want to be defensive in that moment. We want to push back. 
But I'll tell you, every single time that we meet correction and discipline with defensiveness, what it does is it interferes with our development. And it stops us from growing. It stops us from learning. But it's so easy to fall into this trap of wanting to defend ourselves, of wanting to justify ourselves. And I think it happens kind of at, at, at both ends of our personal ability spectrum. And what I mean by that is I think it happens in our extremes. It happens where we're strongest, and I think it also happens where we're weakest. Because I think it happens where we can fall into a lot of self-pride. And it happens where we have a lot of kind of self-deprecation. And where we're kind of maybe overly confident or where we're overly critical of ourselves. For me personally, I I know that, I mean, it is hard for me to appreciate correction in the moment, right? If someone is speaking to me about my preaching or about my parenting. That's That's just the reality of my mindset, of my defensiveness. I will get more defensive if someone comes to me in the moment, right? If they're, if they're talking to me about my communication, my speaking, or if they're talking to me about my, the way I lead and raise my family. And it's because these are two areas where I feel most confident and least confident. And so if you have issues about like a message on a Sunday, please still talk to me. Like I promise it's not, this isn't defensiveness in the point where I'm just like, no, go away. Ah, you know, that doesn't happen. I absolutely, you wouldn't know, you wouldn't know. But internally, internally, it's hard for me to receive that kind of correction in the moment because I have a tendency. I, I want to lean into pride. I want to lean into a, an overconfidence in my own ability. Even though I know if I take a step back, right? And that's why I say in the moment. Because when I take a step back, I remember, hey, you know what? This is God's time. This is God's word. This is the Lord's message. It's what I pray before I walk on the stage every single time I'm on a Sunday or at a retreat or whatever. Is I'm praying, God, you have a plan for this moment, for these people. And I just want to be a part of it. And I want you to speak through me. And I want you to destroy and eliminate anything that I'm trying to bring to this table. Because I recognize Nothing that I say will ever change your life or change the way that you make a decision. It's only the work of the Spirit in your heart and in your mind. It's God's work. I'm just kind of witnessing it. And in moments of clarity, I see that. But in the moment, right, in the, in the heat of the moment, I have a tendency. I want to get defensive. It's the same thing with being a parent. Right? Because with, with, with speaking, maybe you know, I've done it a long time. And so I've built up this false sense of confidence. I, I've, I've been affirmed in enough ways uh, that you know, I, can kind of, I can fall into the trap of building myself up. With parenting, it's the other end of the spectrum. Right? You really have no idea if you're doing a good job as a parent. There's no metric. There's no, like, there's no, there's no checkbox. Like, there's, no feed, there's no annual feedback performance review. With your kids, right? If I sat down with my daughter, I was like, what could I do better? She'd be like, candy. And I'm like, okay, well, go to your room. Right? Like that's, that wouldn't be helpful for anyone. And, and you know, I, I know that those things change over time. I'm currently in a season where I have very small children. But, but man, the reality is that, you know, your parents, they, they don't always know in the moment if they're making the right decision. They don't always know in the moment if they're doing a great job. Every single one of you should text your parents right after this and tell them they did a great job because they don't know that. And and when you have these moments where you're receiving criticism or discipline or advice in an area where you feel weak, man, you have a tendency to get defensive. And the sense of self-defense is exactly why we start with handing things over to the Lord. It's exactly why we start giving these decisions to God, trusting that he's in control. 
And so I hope that's something that we can do on a daily basis. It's something that I want us to do right now. So if you would, let's, let's just pray to God and ask him to lead us forward in this truth. Lord, we thank you that you have given us your wisdom and your word. God, a, a path to walk. Lord, a direction to go. And Lord, we just, we acknowledge, we, we, we see the fact that ultimately your will, your plan, your purpose is better. God, and we can, we can see that and we can affirm that because many of us, we've believed in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, that, that's this kind of touch point. That's the sort of cornerstone. It's the foundation of, of our entire faith. And it tells us that you have a better plan, that you made a way to know us when we had no way. That you made a way to save us from death and to give us life when we were simply lost in our mistakes, God, we were dead in our sin. So some of us, I mean, I would just encourage you to take this moment and consider that truth, that promise that God has made, that, that he has actually sent his son, that he so loved the world, that he so loved you, that he sent Jesus Christ to be a sacrifice for your mistakes for your poor decisions, for your self-defensiveness, for your, for your own uh, faults and prides and, and hang-ups and hurdles and barriers. God sent Jesus Christ to defeat those issues, to free you from the bondage you were in. Some of us, we just need to consider that and to determine, I mean, what do we believe? Are we going to buy into that? Is that a faith we actually want to hold? And some of us, maybe as we consider that, we're feeling the, the movement of the Spirit and we're hearing the, the Word of God maybe in a new way, in a clear way. And the Holy Spirit is calling you to conviction. He's calling you to faith. And so our, our heads are still down and our eyes are still closed, but I would encourage you, I mean, if that's you, if you're in this moment where you're saying, you know what, I... I, I want to believe. I want to trust in Jesus Christ to give me the direction for my life. I, I want to believe in this God who I just simply have not known. Maybe I've known about him, but I haven't known him personally. If that's you, I would encourage you just to raise your hand right where you're at. And I can know where you are so, so that I can be praying for you in this moment, just so I can see, so that those of us on staff can be praying for you. Awesome. Y'all can put your hands down. And you can pray with me. And this isn't a magical prayer, but it's simply a statement of where your heart is. God, we recognize that that we've made mistakes, Lord, that we are lost on our own. That, God, that we can never live a perfect life, a a good life that somehow deserves a relationship with you or deserves a, a place with you for all of eternity. And yet, God, you saw us in the midst of that sin, in the middle of that mistake. God, while we were still dead, Lord, you sent Jesus Christ to be perfect where we could never be perfect. God, to die where we deserve to die. God, and when he rose from the dead three days later, Lord, that was proof that if we call on his name, we're we're free from condemnation. God, we're free from shame and guilt and death. So if if you just prayed that with me, I just want to encourage you that, that you are son of the Lord Most High. You are a daughter of the Lord Most High. And he loves you. And he cannot wait to to take you forward in this new life. 
in this new existence, with this new purpose, with this new vision. For others of us, man, this is something that maybe we've believed for a while. And yet we still lose sight, right? We still struggle. We still make mistakes. We still lack wisdom and knowledge in the decisions that we're supposed to make. And so I would encourage you right now to just take this moment to pray to the Lord and ask God, show me what's my next step for seeking your perspective, your wisdom. God, how do I spend more time with you to hear from you? How do I maybe widen my circle of community to hear from the right people? God, how do I maybe humble myself to receive the the advice or the discipline that I've already been given? Take this moment and just ask the Lord, God, show me what's my next step? What needs to change? God, how can other people walk alongside of me as it takes place? Ask the Lord.